If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today I'd like to introduce you to Dr Katrina Murkies. Dr Katrina Murkies has been a competitor, has competed up to FEI dressage, but now she's focused on equine behaviour research and specifically we're going to talk today about stress levels of horses and blink rate and how to measure that. Katrina, how are you today? I'm just great, Glynis. Thank you. Good. And Katrina, we normally start off with a favourite quote. What have you got for us? Well, this is a quote that a colleague of mine used to say a lot when she was teaching undergraduate equine courses. And she would say, common sense is not so common. And uh, (laughs) it's kind of funny because a lot of the things that we do with horses or with animals, you would think are common sense, but what makes sense to me may not make sense to someone else, or what's clear to me may not be clear to someone else. So it really underscores the idea that we need to explain things in detail. Mm-hmm. And that proves true for horses as well. We need to explain things very clearly to them so that we make sure that they understand what we're asking of them. Yes, yes, just because we know and just because the last half a dozen horses that we've had have done exactly this behaviour doesn't mean that the next one's going to as well. That's exactly right. Mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you started with horses and what your first memories were? Yeah, that's going back quite some time now. (laughs) And I guess like all horse-crazy kids, I don't know, I feel like I was just born loving horses. But my family was not involved with horses at all, and I I didn't have any opportunity to be close to horses. So there was a a park not far down the road from where we lived in town, and uh, they had a petting zoo there, and complete with all the farm animals, and there was some big, huge, black, drafty-type horse. And if I was missing from home or late for dinner, my parents could find me down there uh, hanging out with the horse. Sure, and not a story uncommon to a lot of people that we've had a lot of past guests as well. Going from there then, because you went on and you've, you know, you've been a competitor, you've competed up to FEI dressage, but what made you actually have a career with horses? I always knew I wanted to make my life around horses. It was never a question. It was only what specifically I was going to do. And I thought for a while I would follow a veterinary career and, and be an, a horse vet, but I didn't get accepted to vet school, and I ended up pursuing graduate studies instead. And I was living on my own. I was raising a child on my own, and I would ride when I could, and friends would often beg me to give them lessons on their horse, and I hated teaching. I hated it. And uh, the only reason why I taught lessons was because I desperately needed the money. So I started teaching some lessons, and As I got teaching more, I I actually found that I started to enjoy it. And sort of the turning point for me was the realization that it wasn't 
useful for me to be able to ride my friend's horses or my client's horses. I had to be able to allow my friends or the the owners to be able to ride their own horses. And in order for that to happen, I had to explain it in a way that would make sense and that would make the horse happy and the rider happy. That was sort of the turning point. And then I started enjoying teaching. Mm -hmm. After that, I did graduate from graduate school. I got my PhD, but I actually left academia for a while and I was just running my own business, teaching, training, writing, coaching for quite a few years. And I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. If someone then, you know, because you've had your own business, teaching, training, coaching, doing everything. If someone wants to get into that business, what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to even start to even consider it? Because some people think that they want to work in the horse industry but then don't end up working in the horse industry, maybe in the in the real practitioner part of the horse industry. What do you think they need to start? Yeah, I teach a lot of uh, undergraduate courses in our equine program. And the students, they all come in. Of course, they all love horses and they all want a career in horses. Mm-hmm. And they come in just thinking that they want to ride, teach, train. And they don't they're not really aware of the breadth of careers that are out there. So it's not only about riding or teaching or training. You can do so many things with horses. And I think the one key quality is, well, there's many key qualities. (laughs) One of the key qualities would be perseverance. Mm -hmm. This is not an easy industry to work in. And I'm not sure how things are in Australia, but in Canada, To work in the horse industry is not always seen as an actual career path. Mm. So it's it's a lot of uphill battle in getting recognition for the education and the knowledge that you possess and being valued for that. So perseverance for sure is important. And then patience. If you're working with horses, you need patience. Mm-hmm. Things are going to take time and you can't rush things. And the more settled and calm you are in your demeanor, the better your outcome is going to be when you're working with the horses. Yeah, all right. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? <laughs> the horses, of course. <laughs> okay. Are you going to say more on that or just know that everyone understands what you mean? I think everyone understands what I mean, but I mean, it's wonderful to be able to look out your window and see the horses in the field, whether you're at home or at work. And when you're having a great day, you can go out and share it with the horses. And when you're having a lousy day, you can go out and share that with the horses and they make you feel better. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about people? Who's been influential in your career? Um, If I think way back, probably the first people who were influential to me were all of those authors of all the children's books about horses. Mm-hmm. I read voraciously as a child and I learned so much from all those books. I learned about wild horses and difficult horses and Sunday horses and circus horses and race horses and second chance horses and horses in the olden days and sick horses and all those horses. And I mean, I can read back and I I do read back some of those children's books now and I analyze it more from a researcher point of view and from an equitation scientist point of view. And a lot of what the books said are are really spot on. You know, when you read Walter Farley's books about the Black Stallion, I'm sure everyone has read those, even in Australia. (laughs) And the methodology in training the horses is stems from kindness and caring about the animals. 
So I learned an awful lot from all those books that I read Mm -hmm. and still read. You've said The Black Stallion. Any other children's books that you'd like to recommend to people just for their own children or just ones that they might be able to reminisce with? Oh, there's so many. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot that come out of England. And I think because horses and ponies are so much more in the culture of an English way of life than they were in Canada. So there's some great English books, series, the the. Bonnie, the Sweet Running Philly series and all the the Sunday Horse series. And I'm, I can't even remember all the titles. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Have you got a horse in particular yourself that you think's influenced you in your career? I've had many wonderful horses. Mm-hmm. It's hard to choose one. Um, of course, your first horse is always very special. And the first horse that I had, I, I wasn't able to own a horse for many, many years until I was quite older. But my first horse was a, a pony that was lent to me for the summer. And he was, um, I don't know, a piebald kind of cobby type pony. And he was uh, a problem pony, of course, like we all are. <laughs> and a young girl who owned the pony, of course, couldn't ride it. And so it, I got the opportunity to work with this challenging pony for the summer, and I had no saddle. We just rode down the roads and on the beach, and we went everywhere together and had the most fantastic summer I could imagine. Even though it was very challenging at times, he refused to remain in the pasture. And, of course, the the neighbor farmer would come over with his gun and say, if I see that horse out in my bean field again, I'm going to shoot him. And so I'd have to somehow figure out how I was going to keep this pony in the paddock. <laughs> but it was it was a wonderful summer. It sounds like it brings back great memories now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say my most influential horse was the first horse that I bought for myself. And he was uh, I bought him as a, a two-week-old foal. Mm-hmm. I knew the stallion and the mare that this foal was, was out of. And... I decided that if it was a colt, I wanted to buy this colt, and it ended up being a colt. And I went over to the farm about when I knew the mare was going to foal and visited with this lovely old German couple. And they said, I said, I'd like to buy this colt. And they said, yes, we would like you to have him. So we grew up together, <laughs> and I had him since he was yeah two weeks old. Mm-hmm. And I trained him all the way up to Grand Prix in dressage and I learned so much from him, and he was the most patient, wonderful gentleman. He was a stallion till he was about six, and he was never a problem. My daughter learned to ride on him as well. I would take him to a, an FEI-level show one weekend, and the next weekend my daughter would ride him in walk-trot <laughs> class. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, pretty special, special horse, yeah. He's very special, yes. And But yes, I've had so many special horses, and, and everyone teaches me something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think your proudest moment's been? Has it been? What was his name, the, the one that you got as a two-year-old old? Two-week-old, yeah. Two-week-old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. His name was Landfirst, mm-hmm. Prince of the Land. Okay. He was a, a Canadian-bred, home-raised, self-trained tricaner. Mm-hmm. He wasn't big. He was quite small, actually. He wasn't a fancy European warblood. He didn't have very big gates. But together, we won the Canadian Dressage Championships. And so that was probably my proudest moment with horses. And the reason why he won it is because he was so correct in everything that he did in his execution of his movements. Everything was always very precise. And and uh, it was just 
an amazing moment to get into the ring beside all of these amazing riders that I idolized uh, that were fantastic riders. And um, there I am in the ring with my tiny little trickaner. <laughs> Sounds like a wonderful moment. Yes. What do you think, on your way to getting where you are now, what do you think your biggest challenge has been? My biggest challenge, and it's probably a challenge for many people, is the lack of money. Mm-hmm. My parents were never able to support my interest in horses financially. They did support me psychologically, but not financially. And I had to work for everything that I got. I couldn't afford a horse for many years. I just rode other people's horses. That was fine, but occasionally they would get sold when, just after I developed a really nice relationship with them. And mm-hmm. even when I finally bought my little trecaner gelding there, I had a lot of people help me along the way financially, but it was always a struggle. And if I wanted to compete with him, I would have to, you know, get on and ride him 20 kilometers to the horse show because I couldn't afford someone to come and trailer him. Um, So it it was always a struggle. And um, he wasn't a fancy horse and I didn't have fancy equipment and I didn't have a coach a lot of the time. Sometimes I'd get lessons and sometimes I would win spots in clinics, which was fantastic. But it was always a bit of a struggle that way. Mm -hmm. So if someone else, you know, because we do, we have the struggle, what do you think, because you were saying about riding other people's horses, that would have saved a bit. Any other tips you'd like to give people about that are having the same struggle with lack of money? Be creative. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's um, So I'm a researcher now, I'm a scientist, and uh, money is still a problem yep. because people don't really think about funding research on horses the same way they think about giving funding for research on dairy cattle or human health issues. So I can't go to a national governing body and apply for research funding because it doesn't exist, or if it does exist, it's it's very small pots of money. Mm-hmm. So I depend on industry partners. They may have a personal stake in research outcomes. I depend on the graciousness of horse owners who are interested in participating in behavioral research studies. I'm very creative in finding ways to do research without it costing a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, the good thing about doing behavioral research is most of it is observation. So that that's pretty easy to do. And getting people to help, you know, just for the experience of learning and educating themselves farther. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That being said, yeah. I also think that the horse industry, at least in Canada, is quite well known for taking advantage of the workers in the industry. So there isn't a lot of money. So you have a young girl who wants riding lessons but can't afford to pay for it. So instead, they work all day Saturday and Sunday mucking out stalls. And that's fine. But again, realizing that people's time and energy is worth something as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's sort of a general business thing, isn't it? You know, if, if that person's not going to do it, someone else will. Yeah. And if it's good from the girl's point of view, you sort of think, well, if she's happy and she's getting the lessons and what was she going to do anyway? You know, I don't know. It's a hard one. I think there's certain, you know, minimum wages that people do have to get. And then coming from the, you know, because you've been a horse owner, you've been a a business owner, that you've got certain expenses as well. You've just got to keep it in balance, I think, to keep everyone happy. But because if the people think that they're being ripped off, they are being ripped off. 
you know, I think that we've got to be aware of that too. You know, we've got to be aware yeah. and, and keep people happy within what they're doing. You know, if, if they're doing the lessons, make sure that there's other education there for them as well. Make sure that they're not just a slave, that they've got to be able to sort of stop and have breaks and get some other type learning there besides just their one lesson that they might get over that day or that weekend. Yeah, that's exactly right, Glynis. It has to be equitable. Mm, I mean, there's nothing yeah. wrong with trading, you know, work or time in exchange for lessons or board or things like that, as long as it's equitable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, you know, you were saying about having to be creative with your research, and I know you've been doing some research into eye blink rate in horses, using that as a measure of stress, but just tell me a bit about the research you've been doing. And remember, too, that we're practitioners, we're not scientists, so don't, you know, don't use too many big words. But if you could just explain a little bit about what you've been doing there and, you know, what you've found, just something that we can all learn and take home from that. Yeah, this was an idea that was brought to me by my students, actually, <laughs> um, some undergraduate students. And they had a project where they had to do um, some small research study as part of a course. And they decided that they wanted to look at eye blink rates in horses, because when we look at eye blink rates in humans, the literature shows us that when we're stressed, when humans are stressed, our eye blink rates increase. Mm -hmm. So we get nervous and, and we tend to blink more. And so the students thought, well, maybe we can look at this in horses. If they get nervous, do they blink more as well? So I thought, oh, that's a great thing. And again, it's an easy project to do, doesn't take a lot of money, just need some horses to watch and put them into different situations with differing levels of stress mm -hmm. so that we can see if they are stressed, do their eye blink rates increase or decrease. Mm -hmm. So the students came up with four different scenarios to gently stress the horses. Uh, we don't want to cause any huge problems sure. with them. But um, we had a control situation where the horse was just hanging out in the paddock with his buddies, regular day, nothing being asked of the horse at all. Mm -hmm. And then had a um, situation where the horse was separated from, from their friends. So we would take the horse out of the paddock and take it into an indoor arena by itself. Yep. And... Our third situation was if we took the horse into that indoor arena away from his friends and suddenly he was startled, uh, we threw a ball in mm -hmm. front of him yep. all of a sudden. So it's a little bit of a startle reaction. Yep. And then our fourth situation was at feeding time. So everyone in the barn is getting fed, but this horse is not getting fed. So That'd be pretty stressful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where is my... Yep, yep. And so in order to make sure that this was causing stress in the horses, we did put heart rate monitors on them. Mm -hmm. So we know that yes. when the horses are stressed, their heart rate will increase. And we also looked at other behaviors that are also associated with stress. So we looked at the height of their head because horses will raise their head higher if they're a little bit stressed or they may raise their head or not raise, drop their head lower also if they're a little stressed. Whereas when their head is even with the withers, generally they're pretty relaxed. Mm -hmm. And that's to get a better look at what it is that's startling them? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if they hold their head higher, they can focus better at things that are far in the distance. Yep. And when they drop their head, they can focus at things that are closer to them. Mm -hmm. And then we also looked at lip and mouth movement. So lip licking or yawning or chewing or doing strange things with their tongues. 
And then restlessness was the horse kind of dancing around or... Um, Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Can you just speak a little more about the lip movement, what, what you'd be looking for to indicate stress? Uh, so lip licking, so mm-hmm. if the tongue comes out of the horse's mouth briefly. Mm-hmm. And there's been a fair bit of research done on lip licking. And that's mostly because in the natural horsemanship arena, when you're talking to um, people like Monty Roberts or whatever, who say, well, the signs you want to look for that a horse is connecting with you or willing to connect with you is lip licking, dropping the head turning your ear, the horse's ear on you. Mm -hmm. So that idea of lip licking is actually showing a release of stress. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe like us when we get dry mouth syndrome, we're a little bit stressed, and then we kind of need to lick our lips to release that. Uh, So yeah, so then we we looked at the eye blink rates over a three-minute period in each one of those four scenarios. Yep. And we... Did this by videoing because that way it was going to be easier for us to actually see what was happening and be able to look at all of the behaviors mm-hmm. instead of having to try to do everything all at once. And when we started looking at the videos, we actually noticed that the horses did different things with their eyes. They didn't just blink. So they they would offer a blink, a full blink, where the upper lid would close completely down to the lower lid. But they also did these half blinks where the upper lid would close partway over the eye, but not completely. And then we also saw what I call these eyelid flutters, where the eyelid didn't close, but the muscles right above the eye would move or kind of shake. And so we thought, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. So it's not mm-hmm. just about blinking. And uh, so we categorized those three different eye movements. Yep. And we found that actually, yes, it showed that horses decreased their eye blink rates when they were exposed to more stressful situations. So the full blinks and the half blinks both decreased. So they were blinking less when the situation was more stressful. And we verified that it was more stressful based on the other behaviors we looked at and the heart rates. Mm-hmm. And then when we looked at the eyelid flutters, we saw that they actually increased during the stressful situations, particularly during the feed restriction, which was the most stressful situation for the horse. Mm-hmm. So this was quite interesting, and it kind of falls nicely into place with other recent research where they've been looking at um, pain faces in horses, mm-hmm. and they can use eyebrow wrinkles to mark an equine pain face. And the researchers that were looking at this, they called them eyebrow wrinkles. And I think the eyebrow wrinkles are probably similar in the etiology or in the in the behavior as my eyelid flutters. So it's something that the horse consciously activates when something is disturbing it, mm-hmm. whether it's pain or whether it's stress. And I guess when you think about it, it makes sense because the horse is a prey species 
it's not in their best interest when they're in a situation that may be stressful for them to be closing their eyes, to be increasing blink rates, mm. because then they're decreasing the amount of information that they're able to take in and process. So they don't want to take their eyes off whatever it is that they need to be watchful of, but they still need to move their eyes. And mm -hmm. uh, so perhaps these eyelid flutters make uh, make more sense for them to be able to move their eyes or, or keep their eyes in motion without closing the eyelid. Yes, I think that's interesting, isn't it? And interesting that you've come up that the eye blinks less, but then there's increased eye flutters. And good talking about the other levels of stress as well, you know, just to sort of clarify and talk about release of stress and things, um, something for our listeners to think about and, and look for in their own horse within their own training. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So eye blinks can be difficult <laughs> to see because they happen very, very quickly. But I think people, probably everybody has seen their horse do the funny things with their eyebrows or the eyelid flutters. Mm -hmm. So perhaps mm -hmm. if you are noticing that, maybe you need to pay attention to the other behavioral indicators that your horse is demonstrating and uh, the situation that the horse is in and be able to evaluate if perhaps maybe your horse is being stressed. Mm, mm. And even just, you know, knowing that the horse's head coming up very high is often that they're looking at something there in the distance that they need to get a better look at. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Katrina, have you got a book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners, something that will complement their training and their learning? Definitely. One of my favourite books is the uh, book called Equitation Science. Mm -hmm. And it's by Paul McGreevy and Andrew McLean, so it's very Australian. Mm -hmm. I'm sure maybe you're familiar with it. Yes, and it's been recommended a few times on the on the show as well. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's very well written and it's it's easy to read. So you don't need to be a scientist to understand the book. It's written in easy to understand language. It's got fantastic diagrams and photographs in there to really point out whatever the subject is that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, the information that's in the book is based on research. So about how horses think, how horses behave, how horses respond and react to interactions with humans. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a very, it's an invaluable book for someone who really wants to understand their horses and, and be able to work with their horses in the best way possible. Yep, yep. Katrina, what are you looking forward to now? Have you got any research plans in the future, anything you're doing with your own horses? What does your future hold? Uh, my research program is quite varied. Mm -hmm. So I, although I focus on horses, I do do a little bit of research in dogs, but mainly it's just horses. And I'm the only equine researcher, dedicated equine researcher and equine behavior at my university. So I research anything and everything of interest. <laughs> so currently I'm looking at horses' preference for steamed hay over dried hay. Do they actually prefer to eat steamed hay because it's, you know, soft and moist rather than dry hay? Um, I'm looking at the prevalence of different types of training equipment used by riders. And is that related to discipline or level of the horse or something like that? I'm looking at horses' responses to humans who have mental or emotional trauma. So when we talk about using horses in equine-assisted therapy settings, 
the benefits to the humans are fairly well documented, but there's little research about the effect on the horses themselves that are being used for these types of purposes. And some of the anecdotal data is that horses are healing to humans with mental or emotional trauma because somehow the horse intuits what the human needs and or acts as a mirror to the human's emotional um, responses and behaviors. And so my research is, do horses actually respond to some emotional interaction between the horse and human, or are they just responding to the physical motions or, or body language that that human is emoting? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, yes, working with mounted police horses and different training protocols for the jobs that those horses have to do, which is a little bit different than your ordinary riding horse. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so <laughs> lots of different reefs that I that I have on the go. It sounds not just good, you know, because you've got that on your horizon, but probably good for the horse world, you know, to have that scientific background um, to further our knowledge about horses. Exactly. I mean, it's all about mm. the horses. Yep, yep. Would you be able to summarise your philosophy with horses or give our listeners a message to take away with them today? Listen read, ask questions, ask questions from many different people, many different sources. I found for myself that I really need to listen to the horses because they're telling me something all the time. And it's not about whether I speak horse or they understand what I'm saying. It's about listening to them and, and watching them because they speak very plainly, very clearly. Mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. just need to pay attention and then formulate what works for you and your horse, because there's not just one right way to do things. If you understand a horse's behavior and you understand horse's responses, and a horse is a horse is a horse, it doesn't matter whether it's doing dressage or jumping or jousting or camp drafting or whatever, it's still a horse. Mm -hmm. um, but there are many different ways to approach what you want to train that horse to do. And so experiment as long as it's within a humane sphere mm -hmm. and find out what works because what works okay. for one person may not work for you and what works for you may not work for the next person. And that's yeah. fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. I think good message to take away. Okay, now um, how can people contact you? Well, I'm one of the few people in the developed world anyways, that doesn't have a phone. Uh, so you can't call me. <laughs> okay. But you can certainly email me. Email okay. me is the only way unless you want to come and visit, but it might be a bit of drive. <laughs> so I presume that you'll provide them with my email. We'll put those details on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Katrina Murkis. The details will be there, or else just go to Horse Chats and search for Katrina and you'll find that page. Yeah, certainly very good talking to you. I think we've, you know, all had a lot of education. You know, you, you're giving your knowledge very freely. It's been good. I think, you know, talking about stress rates for horses is a good subject. And it's a very big subject and one that, you know, as you do more research in, I think we're starting to understand horses and understand horse behaviour a lot more. So thank you for that and thank you for your time. Thank you, Glennis. I very much enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 